Welcome to Schooled by Cinema. This is the film class you won't want to sleep through. This season we're discussing screenwriting and a little bit off course, but we're going to discuss a book rather than a movie this week. Um, I am joined by Sal Cairos to discuss Blake Snyder's um, very famous, very well known, save the cat exclamation point. Hello. Hello. I am very excited to have you here to discuss this book. This is a very uh, hot topic book. Yes, very... for sure. <laughs> it for sure. has a lot of heat behind it as being, um, you know, the template for a lot of modern films. Yes. Um, but before, even though this isn't about a movie, I still want to know what does screenwriting mean to you? What does screenwriting mean to me? Um, it is my day job. That's what it means to me. Um, no, I love that. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the building blocks of, of filmed storytelling, mm -hmm. you know, um, for both television and uh, and movies. It's, uh, you know, it all starts on a page, you know. It, it does. All starts there. Um, so to me, it, it, it means a lot, but I'm not so precious that it's like to be all in the <laughs> That's where it starts. It changes when you film it. It changes when you edit it. Yeah. So, but it's it's the it's the starting point. It's the starting point. I love that. So, how did you how did you start in this world? I, I could, would love to know a little background. Right yeah. Uh, so, I got into writing through the ABC Disney Fellowship. Oh, very cool. back in the day. Yeah, I wrote uh, a spec back when we used to write specs of a show called The Shield that was on mm -hmm. FX many moons ago, um, and I got in. And uh, I, I applied for that one and applied for the Warner Brothers program. And mm -hmm. Warner Brothers sent me a rejection letter, said, no, thank you. We don't need you. <laughs> but um, I also had applied to Disney. And then Disney um, accepted. Uh, mm -hmm. And and I didn't expect to get into Disney because they actually pay you. They actually pay oh, you okay. the program, which is really nice. They, they mm -hmm. like pay you. I don't know if it's still the same. I, I think, yes, they still pay you. But at the time, they they, they gave you a paycheck. They gave you the health insurance. Nice. They gave you a Disney pass. Wow. Like you could just go to Disney like whenever for free. It was, <laughs> it was cool. It was super cool. And that got the ball rolling. Um, uh -huh. uh, I was there for a year, uh, quote unquote, graduated, uh, ended up writing, uh, coming out, ended up writing for Private Practice, which was the Grey's Anatomy spinoff. Mm -hmm. uh, and then for a show called Rizzoli and Isles. Um, and then more recently, I've written for um, The Good Doctor, mm -hmm. Snowfall, Sneaky Pete, and I'm currently uh, writing for Silo on Apple. Oh, wow. You have hit all the big ones. You are <laughs> all the popular culture when it comes to TV. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've been kind of lucky. I went through a stretch yes. of time where I didn't, where like there was no work. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly it's like you're working. Um, so it's it's been a wild, a wild ride. Well, that's amazing. Well, people are seeing your talent and just having <laughs> you ha have you on the back burner, ready ready to go for the next show. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> um, so I guess you talk a little bit about the book just to kick off. Yeah. Um, so how did you first hear about this book, and is was this important to you when you first started? So first, I'll, I'll say that. I don't like screenwriting books. Yeah. Um, I don't like screenwriting books. I don't like screenwriting gurus. Uh, I, I don't believe in them. The the big one um, 
is Robert McKee, who wrote okay. the book Story, and he's very famous in, in town for giving these seminars. Mm -hmm. And actually, when I was in a Disney program, they sent us to one of his seminars. Okay. I lasted about 45 minutes. <laughs> and at, at when he started doing, he, he was doing some silly things, like if your phone rings, he went up to you and demanded oh, uh, to give him uh, $20. <laughs> and I'm like, who is this old man? Um, and his book is thick, and it's honestly to me, it's it's more confusing. Mm -hmm. It 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 does a disservice to screenwriters, at least for me, because mm -hmm. it makes storytelling more confusing than it should be. Yeah, more you want to you want to learn how to write? Go read uh, Stephen King's On Writing. It's okay. Not about screen, it's not about screenwriting, but that book that man has sold books. Of like, course, I trust his word. Robert <laughs> McKee, I don't know what he's done. Um, but uh, so save the cat. Mm -hmm. Um, I came across it when I had to write a screenplay, mm -hmm. and I'm like, I was trying to find something that would orient me. And again, I don't like screenwriting books, but I do um value uh instruction and knowledge, mm -hmm. and it seemed like this was a thin book and i liked the way that it broke down the genres mm -hmm. right and it took an approach that was very much in line with what i was doing in television which is the book breaks down a, a screenplay into different beats mm -hmm. which was very recognizable to me when we sit in a writer's room you write beats on the board right okay. and it tried to organize it in a way that gave you a sort of a roadmap to write uh, an outline Mm -hmm. which is everything in television writing. I'm like, oh, this book is actually teaching you how to write an outline, kind of like we do. So I'm like, great, let me check mm -hmm. it out. So I love the way you broke down the different genres and it was, and it didn't make things confusing. It actually made things a little bit more understandable. It okay. wasn't fantastic, but I found it yeah. easy to navigate and probably the most friendly screenwriting book I've ever come across. Yeah, the way that he approaches the discussion is very like in a coffee. It feels like very like 90s in a coffee shop talking yeah. with a buddy. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's just my vision of being in totally. LA in the 90s is like <laughs> totally, having yes. that one on one with him. It yes. totally feels like that. Yes, yes. And he had this crazy thing in the book where he talks about how he used to listen to movies. He would mm -hmm. record movies and, and listen to them um, on his drives. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's crazy because at least for me, like I didn't go uh, to, to like to, to film school or anything, uh -huh. but the way that I wrote my first, um, my first spec is I sat down and I watched an episode of the shield and mm -hmm. I literally would stop it. And I would write, I broke it down scene by scene a story, B story, C story, like, and, and like laid it all out. Mm -hmm. So when he was talking about listening to movies and like, oh, he's doing what I kind of was doing with, with television mm -hmm. shows, just listening to it and finding patterns. Right. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, okay, we're like speaking the same language. Mm -hmm. um, so that made it, made it super helpful. So um, I, I really enjoyed the way that that sort of the way that, that the books are laid that out. That's so interesting because I hear so many people now, <laughs> now that we're at the generation where this 
this kind of feels a little bit um date like it doesn't feel like something people do anymore but people in this area now talk about this going through like dvd commentaries and stuff like that yeah. and it feels much like that of people we know at this time like that was something he was doing like you know 30 40 years ago yes and what's wild that you that you mentioned that because i recently went back and started rebuilding my library yeah my, me too. my physical library yeah yeah um not only that my 19 year old daughter has mm -hmm. started building a physical library oh that's so adorable it's, it's awesome because she's finding shows that she loves yes. are disappearing mm -hmm. right? they're just plucking them so she's like oh i need to start buying these and and of course i think a lot of the the new generation loving movies like let's just take barbie for example mm -hmm. um there's a lot of young folks who will go watch it and that'll just be the experience you know they watch mm -hmm. it which is great but then for some of us growing up it was like yeah you watch it you fall in love with the movie but then you wait for the dvd to come out mm -hmm. when it comes out then it's got the commentary track on it and it talk, mm -hmm. takes you like into a deep dive into what it was like about filming and what it went into the scene you know and like the current generation doesn't know that part of not just filmmaking, but love of cinema, right? Yeah, I, I've, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. I just no, want no. to say that um, I think the reason for that is because people get so much information up front now. That's probably true. I, I don't think that's the entire reason. I think it's also like the lack of people buying physical media, although yeah. now it's seeing like a, a comeback. Right. But I think it has to do with like, as soon as the movie comes out, like we've been hearing about Bar Barbie for a year and a yeah. half, even before it even came out in yeah. Oppenheimer. Like we're hearing every detail from every news site about everything. Right. And so they feel like they know everything even before they go into the movie. Yeah, and, and I think I think the studios recognize that and, yeah. and for them, it's also cheaper for them, right? Uh -huh, they, just, they, just, they just upload it. They don't have to spend the money on doing an EPK, you know, mm -hmm. an electronic press kit. They don't have to interview. They don't. They don't have to do any of that sort of stuff, yeah. right? But recently, they've started re—I mean, not even re-releasing, releasing. Yeah. Uh, I just bought um, the last Predator movie, Prey. It came yes. Out yeah. Uh huh. Bought that. <clears throat> um, uh, and a lot of movies are starting to come out. You are able to buy them now. And yeah, like, exactly. Like the the Hulu stuff, the yep. the Apple stuff. I think yep. that's going to be on. The only one that seems to be the standout is Netflix. Is like they're just unless they work with Criterion, they're just right. not right. Yeah, and, and Criterion is great too. Like if yes. you really want like the, all the bells and whistles, like that's who you're going to go with. Absolutely. Um, but what what was great about that is they were like mini film schools. You know, mm -hmm. you, you could sit down and, and listen to all the, you know, great directors talk about what they did. And if you were lucky, yeah. they're sitting with a screenwriter. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's, to me, worth its weight in gold, um, more so than, like, getting a film degree. <laughs> um, because you're, you're, you're hearing, you know, the, these masters talk about their practice and and what they do and how they do it and why they do it. It's, it's just fantastic. That's something that he points out in the book also is like, you just have to like immerse yourself in all the movies you can 
because he cites Spielberg and Scorsese as being able to talk about pretty much any movie, you know, almost yeah. encyclopedically, just because they see everything. Um, and he says, like, and I feel like that's a message that I try and spout, and everyone I know who's like appreciates film or anything tries to spout because it feels like the the you know the tunnel there's like tunnel vision around what people see now right right no for sure uh, i mean it's it's because everybody has like their own little like um sort of entertainment mm -hmm. kingdoms you yep. know where they, where they curate the things that they love and and it takes effort for something new to come in absolutely you know, it's, it's comfortable in whatever they they love um, so everybody's sort of siloed away in their own little areas. Um, but it, that's why I love, you know, chats like this. Um, and also when you have friends that, that love going to see movies that maybe not the type that you dig and then they, yeah. like, they pull you along. Right. Yeah. That's one of the great parts about social media is hearing what other people are watching and having that information like spread out into the ether and being able to have those recommendations. Um, so in this movie, talking about genre in this book, they, he breaks down genre into all these weird different categories, yeah. but I actually really, I think that was the part of this, the book I love appreciated the most is the because he has all this like weird lingo that he likes to yeah. use because he's very hollywood he's very mr yeah. hollywood and i appreciate that because that, that's definitely needed you need someone who's going to be able to sell your sell you sell your stuff right um but i loved the breakdown and genre the most do you have one that you appreciate the most or that you like felt really connected with you as a writer well, the one that I that I that I did love um, that jumped out to me immediately <clears throat> was um, the monster in the house. Yeah, right. Which like aliens. Mm -hmm. um, I think even Jaws falls in that. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is which and, and and this is what I I can appreciate what he did is he takes all of these he finds all these films that have you know that feel very similar and just sort of breaks down what makes them tick mm -hmm. right um and the monster in the house to me was the way he encapsulated it i'm like of course mm -hmm. that's what it is these are like monster in the house stories yeah it allows you to sort of speak about those movies in those sort of terms right mm -hmm. oh the, the story where the characters are at a location and something some entity or some some monster or being disrupts right and, and it's them surviving mm -hmm. um and connected to to television again what's cool what he did about breaking down these genres is he sort of did what i would do with a television show which is like house uh, i wrote a house spec and i just mm -hmm. I, I watch all the house episodes and if you watch all you find patterns right mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, he, did, he did the same thing, but with movies, mm -hmm. you know, he did the exact same thing, which then explains to you what a monster in the house is, and then allows you to digest the genre and mm -hmm. look at those patterns. And then when you sit down to write your own, then you sort of have, I hate to say the word template, but it gives you a roadmap. I think roadmap is a better word mm -hmm. 
for you in order for you yeah. to get down and crack that story. Because if you don't have that roadmap, it's hard. It's yeah. almost every time I sit down to write a script, every time we sit down to break a story in a room, no matter how often we do it, it seems like we're starting from scratch, mm -hmm. you know, to the point where like, all right, let's go back to basics. Like, what does the main character want? Yeah. And then discussions start, right? And he gives you a roadmap, which is so helpful for yeah. writers who are trying to write whatever type of story it is, Monster in the House, or I think he's got like Buddy Love is another one. Like he's got all yeah. these things. He just, the book allows you to wrap your head around all of that and construct your story. It really does. I love the the genre that I love the most is the Why Done It. Yeah. I, I think cool. that as a person who that's the kind of film that I really find myself drawn to a lot. I was right. like, oh, I love how he breaks this down into like looking at it from a different angle. I really think writing this book and reading the book, I was like, he would he's probably like the best editor at the time to like have someone have a second pair of eyes on what you're writing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems like it because like, imagine you were able to give you a script you wrote to, to him to look, to mm -hmm. look at immediately. He would be able to go through it and be like, Oh, well you're missing this, yeah. this piece. Right. Or this piece is, you know, um, is not working for whatever reason, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, I, I, again, I don't like screenwriting gurus, but within the screenwriting community, it is very common for you to hand, mm -hmm. you know, your your script to a fellow writer and be like, "Give me notes." Yeah. Um. And and this, it's almost like it allows you to, um, to double check what you've written depending mm -hmm. on the genre. Um. And and I hate for it to sound like it's formulaic because it's not formulaic. It it's more it's more of a, as a, like I was saying, a roadmap. It allows you to put together mm -hmm. an outline because the beauty is you write an outline. The, the way that I like to write is when I was writing specs is I'd watch a show, see how many beats it takes to tell an episode, start constructing my story, staying within those beats. I'm not going to go any more, any less. And then at some point, like, everything that you pull from the show the beats how it's organized the different act outs that they use you sort of just throw it away mm -hmm. and you just like forget about the show and, and what you were pulling from it now this is your story and you sit and you just concentrate on your stories and you start moving things around if you have no cards and then it becomes your own right mm -hmm. but you got to start from someplace and, and yeah. I think that's what this allows you to do Absolutely. I think the note card business probably boomed after the publication <laughs> of this book. That's very funny. That's very funny. Um, so are there any of the exercises that were in the book that you really were drawn to or still use or anything like that? Um, I, I wouldn't say necessarily like an, one of the exercises, uh -huh. but... Um, the one thing that I, I do pay attention to a lot now uh -huh. because of, of the way that not only because it's in the way he talked about in the book, but I've also heard um, other writers talk about, and it's the opening image. Mm -hmm. What is the opening image? And he talks about that. What the concentrate on your opening image, because that can say a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so now when I sit down to write, 
that's one of the big things that I sort of mm -hmm. concentrate on. Not, it's big and it's important um, because it sort of sets the tone mm -hmm. of the story that you're telling. So the fact that he sort of had that in there, it's the first time that it sort of was brought to my attention, right? Yeah. And then down the road, I'm reading some interview with some director, you know, and, and the guy's like, yeah, you know, like the opening image is very important. Yeah. It sets what the story's gonna be. I'm like, that's right. Mm -hmm. So that has always stuck with me. So whenever I sit down to write now, that's one of the first things I think about is what is gonna be the first thing that the audience sees. Um, and, and that's at least become a big part of, you know, when I sit down to write and, and have things outlined and you finally sit down to actually write that script, what is that opening image? Yeah, I would. I did an episode on Barton Fink, and we were talking about the Coen Brothers, and yeah. that is how they start. They don't even start with an outline; they just start with their like jump off point of how of that first scene, and then they just go from there. Yes, which seems yes. very reckless to me as a person who's very structured. It drives me a little bit crazy that they just jump in like that. But I get it. Hey, every they're geniuses. I can't. I can't comment on it. But no, everybody, everybody, and that's, and that's what's cool. Like everybody is different. Everybody yes. does their thing differently. Um, like, I don't understand, I, I can't wrap my head around folks that don't use outlines, like the yeah. Brothers, like Stephen King, like Quentin Tarantino, like these yeah. people just like sit down and write. And I'm like, you know, what kind of alien <laughs> are you? How, how do you even do that? I just don't understand. Um, but that, yeah, but that's the one thing that's sort of, uh, uh, I took from the book and I sort of have kept. Yeah, there, so this is film, or not film, I keep saying film because I'm so used to talking about movies. This book, it, it very much emphasizes the idea of a beat sheet, which is like a structural style yeah. that he kind of made famous. Yeah. Um, and you say you use an outline. Did you ever, do you take from his beat sheet? Have you ever been to any of his seminars on the beat sheet or anything like that? No, I mean, I, I took his beat sheet when I, when I sat down to write yeah. uh, a feature. Yeah. Um, I definitely took it and um, I organized my script mm -hmm. according to the beat sheet. Yeah. He's got a lot of great things that make you. What I love is that he's got things in that beat sheet that make you think about the story that you're writing. Like when you're like, look, at the halfway point, you know, you're breaking into act two. Mm -hmm. You know, it's either a downbeat where your hero loses or an upbeat. You know, mm -hmm. something happens where your your hero wins and it and it spins the story in a different direction i'm like oh like i never thought of it like that uh-huh I, I and so in using the beat sheet it helped me sort of see those sort of signposts mm -hmm. right organize what i was putting together and then ultimately like i said what i what i personally like to do is then i take his beat sheet and i just put it away yeah put it away yeah. now i have my story and I don't feel like um, married to what he put together mm -hmm. on YouTube. And that's when I, I can start changing scenes, adding things yeah. that maybe were not in that beat sheet, um, pulling things away that I'm like, oh, this is not working. But it helped organize it in a way, which is organize it in a way that I was already doing in television. Because yeah. in television, you do your beats, but there's no, they're not so prescriptive as yeah. they are with the book. it's a more continual story it doesn't end at the end of that no, exactly because it's yeah. like he's like opening image and the theme yeah and the setup. 
and the catalyst and then there's a debate like it's mm -hmm. very like hitting these beats that's not how it is in television television like you just follow a sort of flow and you discuss mm -hmm. the story in the room you know it makes sense you've kicked it around but when you're sitting by yourself working on a feature you got unless you want to talk about it with somebody um this is what you're left with just yourself yeah so uh the his beat sheet sort of helped me see the way that you can do what i was doing in the television writer's room with a with a feature yeah there was this article so was, there's of course a lot of criticism about this book in oh, general sure. but i i saw this article it was from 2013 so like okay. we've been 10 years from now but it was called save the movie exclamation point um the 2005 screenwriting book that's taken over hollywood and, and made every movie feel the same uh, by peter sunderberg so basically he's saying and he recites like a lot of the movies at the time the bigger movies you know like uh he specifically targets um star trek into darkness as being okay. a part of this okay. and how uh you know this book made all the movies at that time seem the same do you think that that is a part of it a part of why this book is a part of why a lot of these movies especially well we're kind of at the curtail end of it now sure. 10 years later but do you think that's kind of why a lot of these films feel the same honestly i don't think so okay um, I, I don't think so and i'll tell you why the folks who are reading this book uh -huh. are honestly going to be folks who are newer to the game. Yeah. Um, I was doing television, but I had never written a feature. So I'm yeah. like, let me seek out some help. Right. Um, the people who are writing those movies, they're not newbies, right? They're, yeah. they're not running to save the cat. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know um, Tony Gilroy is not busting open the cat <laughs> to see what his next beat's going to be. Like, not on Andor. He doesn't have it sitting yeah. next to him. No, like, this is same. how we're going to make exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, if these movies seem the same, it's just because they're, they are the product yeah. of that specific time and yeah. place. And a lot of it gets filtered through the studios. Yeah. Right? These, these writers and directors don't do this in a vacuum. They have studios and production companies to answer for. And if there was a movie that was successful, you know, last year, then they want to bring that forward. Or yeah. there's something that's been working or has worked before. Well, then let's keep doing that. And that's why they all feel the same. Uh, yes, I dig Save the Cat, but you know, the the folks that are getting play, getting paid, you know, a lot of money to, to write screenplays and have been doing it forever are not, you know, bookmarking um, Save the Cat, uh, uh, although they might. Um, yeah, because sometimes it does feel like starting all over again, but usually by then you already got your own process. You know, you yeah, already have right? things that you've done before. So if they feel the same, it's not because this guy put out a book. It's because <laughs> you know, it's there's usually something in the water. You know, yep. that's why at, at one point we had two asteroid movies in the movie theater. Mm -hmm. and at one point we had two volcano movies in the movie theater. Yeah. Something just seeps into it, and and it starts movies start feeling a little bit the same. I, I think we also, like a lot of people on the outside sometimes don't realize like how many people are actually in charge and like kind of 
how they all feed off of each other yeah. and how that kind of creates a little bit of a vacuum for all of these things. And they all are like, okay, so this person is successful over here. So we have to copycat it and X, Y, Z. And we have to, and let's look at Zack Snyder, like bouncing all over the place to right. all these places, like trying to get his stuff made now. Right. Um, right. I shouldn't say trying, like he's like a <laughs> starving artist. <laughs> no, I'm sure he'll get a few off the ground. <laughs> I am sure he'll be okay. But yeah. I just, I, I mean, the the whole thing that I come back to is that there's like a lot of information in this book and like it, the, uh, the, all the hero stuff and everything. Right. I feel like it kind of goes to, I, I feel like it should go to the superhero genre, but I think when I'm reading it, it goes more to like the golden fleece right. genre and right, right, right. as he describes in the book um and that is like the oldest tale ever told basically right right so. going after that that proverbial um treasure yes right 100 the treasure yeah and i mean those the, those stories yeah those are evergreen stories you know from yeah. in, from indiana jones um i think i I don't know if it's mentioned in, in the book, but I think like um, he's been like Reservoir Dogs is in mm -hmm. there. It's all about they're after the thing, uh -huh. you know, they're after the thing, and and those again, it does get referenced. It's called the Golden Fleece because you go back to Jason and the Argonauts and like, yeah. all of these you know great ancient stories, and there's something about that sense of adventure that I think just calls to people. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it it's very attractive. We I think, uh, you know, as, as humans, I think we yearn for, for adventure, you know? Yep. Um, and we have nowhere to else to adventure. Because yeah, exactly. No, exactly. If, if, if you're somebody <laughs> who like, you know, who works at a bank or is a teacher and, and you have a family, um, mm -hmm. you know, you're not going to go out there, you know, chasing gold, but you can crack open a book. You can watch yeah. a movie, you can watch a TV show. And I think, you know, these movies also the the golden fleece also tend to pull you you know into a new world yeah. um which is which can which is a lot of fun um so uh that that i was not surprised to see in there you know the yeah. sort of going after the magical the magical item yeah and i like how you bring up tarantino because i think there is an importance to learning about stuff like this because then you learn how to break the structure a little bit and make it work for you because that's you know that that is kind of what the idea of the movie is but it's really about these people and right. so it, it's kind of like a you know like a red herring this idea right. of whatever is you know they're going after right and 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 you know and tarantino is a great example right. because you know like he you know he absorbs <laughs> almost like every film <laughs> that was ever placed on film. Yeah. And then he filters it mm -hmm. and it comes out, you know, something else on the other side, which is, you know, it, it's, and he gets knocked for that, you know, uh -huh. like, well, he you know, but it's, it's on, I think he, he wears it on his sleeve, mm -hmm. but a lot of us do this, you know, we, yeah. when you first start writing, your stuff sounds like the stuff that you love, mm -hmm. right? And if, and honestly, for me, if you're doing it, if you're doing it, learning to write in in a in a way that's not going to drive you bananas, you will look 
to other writers that inspire you and you sort of mimic their style right? yeah um for a little bit and then eventually that'll morph into your own your own mm -hmm. style you know but that takes time that takes practice sitting your butt down and actually doing the writing but that's what we all do you know we just filter mm -hmm. things that we watch and love and we do our own thing you know like uh, yeah raiders of the lost ark you know famously spielberg is like you know like the serials you know the serials yeah, uh -huh. of, of you know from back in the day is that what you're going for so uh you know and it's all it's all just processed and coming out yeah. brand new like what do they say like there's there's no new stories to tell yeah um which yeah i guess that's true it's, it's all a different variations on stuff that we've mm -hmm. already told before yeah we're all sponges rarely are we all the singular genius like that doesn't happen very often we're all a product of everything that became before even the people who are you know say that they are you know they just came up with it or they don't they don't watch movies <laughs> they just came up with this great movie idea that's not i'm sorry i don't believe you that's, yeah that's yeah yeah those are the people that are just not being honest with themselves <laughs> exactly so because this so another criticism of this book is like the idea that it's a giant sales pitch the idea that it the whole reason behind the book is to learn how to pitch um and that i would say in response is that you know it is a business right like sure? it, yep. it it really is a business yeah first you, and foremost no you, yeah you you actually took the words right out of my, my mouth because yeah this is not a book about writing a novel this yeah. is a book about writing a movie uh -huh. right? i mean eventually they did save the cat uh, save the cat does a novel or something but there's a novel version yes uh -huh. but, yes but for for feature writing for movies yes of course it's going to feel like that because that's all you ever do in this business mm -hmm. you pitch mm -hmm. that's it you walk in and you're trying to get a job you're pitching you're pitching yeah. what, you, what your vision is for the movie um you go in you know for for a show you know you're pitching yourself you know yeah. on, on the staff once you get on that staff and you're and you're breaking story you're pitching all day yeah. long and and it's a different muscle it's a different muscle um and this kind of organize organizes it for you mm -hmm. um but i don't disagree it it yes it feels like a pitch but it's of that world you know yeah. it, it it's it's coming from somebody who has been in that world sort of mm -hmm. reporting back and being like if you want to do this professionally this is what i learned yeah and and those are the folks that i sort of I'll, I'll tend to listen to a lot more than somebody who's just like you know <laughs> i i think it's important of course like you know this you just went through the writer's strike it's of course important to protect artists but you know we want in order to make more movies more tele tv shows more everything you have to have money behind it because we're in a capitalist society uh, yeah, yeah. that's just what it all breaks down to unfortunately yeah. but that's how it is yeah and i think if anything you have to learn to work with others and be communal and as you said you pitch all day you just even pitch little ideas in the writer's room right. or whatever all day so you have to be able to come in with the best arsenal you can and this is really something that he's trying to set people up for success with right 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 completely because you 
it's such a different animal, you know, like, yeah, it is. like people want, writers want to come in and write their story, which is great, but then there's that aspect that you don't realize is also there, which is, can be a huge learning curve, which is yes, but you have to also be personable. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, you have to be able and, and talk about what you're writing in a way that the person across from you who's going to write you that check, who's going to hire you, gets it. You know, mm -hmm. yes, what you wrote, they probably, they, they most likely read and it's why you're sitting across from them. But then the thing, the new thing that you're trying to do, you need to sell that, mm -hmm. you know, you need to sell that in a way that they get it. And a lot, it's, it's all communication. Yeah. Um, and I think a, a part of the reason I think the writer strike, I think was, was successful is because, you know, we're all, <laughs> the studios were up against people who communicate for a living. Yeah. You know, so that's why all the, these writers were on, on Twitter, just mm -hmm. on fire. Yeah. Because this is what we do for a living and we have time on our hands and we're going to, you know, <laughs> ourselves in a way that's digestible. Um, 100%. That'll, 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 that'll get you upset. You yeah. Know? Even though you're not a writer, but you're going to get mad because listen to what I'm going to tell you because it's probably going to affect you too and do it in a concise way that you understand it immediately. You know, you're not writing like, it's not white papers that you're writing for a presentation for, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, a new widget. Um, but that's a part that uh, I think a lot of new writers don't realize is a huge part of the business mm -hmm. is the non-writing part, the part where you're spending trying to figure out, well, how am I going to tell them why this story is important and mm -hmm. why they should do it and why I'm the one that should do it. Like that's yeah. a big part of it. And communication is even more important now as we are in a completely like international like global environment where we are just like people are working with each other across the world people are seeing across the world like look at what happened with the writer strike and everything here is like now you see these unionization happening like in where was it korea where yeah. all this stuff was yeah. happening it it's fascinating how these like little fire spark embers in other places um because you're kind of the the working men of the hollywood system quote unquote working right. men because you're you're there at the beginning you lay the track all of that stuff yes yes and and you're right about the international part of it because even beyond that going back to the business part of it yeah like the good doctor is a remake of a korean show uh-huh yeah you know so these IP, this property makes its way over here and maybe it's going to land in, in your lap, yeah. right? And then you got to figure out, you know, how are you going to turn this story into something that's digestible to Americans? How is it going to be important to you? Um, how are you going to give it legs in mm -hmm. this world? Because if you watch those two for the good doctor, they're very different. Yeah. Um, uh, it takes a different spin in order for it to work here. Mm -hmm. um, and how do you do that? Well, you need to be able to communicate that. You mm -hmm. need to be able to speak on it and write about it and 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 say it in a way that the executive across from you is going to be like, oh, yeah, I get it. Awesome. Yeah, and, then, exactly. and then, then they're going to take it to their boss, right? And the more ammunition you can give them in, in a 
concise manner, the better you are. Yeah, exactly. And I'm just thinking right now as we have like Godzilla on Apple, and then we also have Godzilla minus one, which is a yeah. movie. I'm not a big, I don't really know anything about Godzilla. I just know I'm seeing it like literally everywhere right, right. now. And I'm just like, that's amazing though, that it's this thing that has lasted forever and is based in another country, but yet it's still present and everywhere. Yeah, th th that's that's really cool because yes, there's Godzilla minus one, and yes, there's Monarch. Mm -hmm. And then I think earlier this week, um, the new trailer for Godzilla. Oh yeah, the Godzilla Kong. Kong. I forgot about that Kong too. Kong. Like, and it's wild because there's not the American Godzilla. Yeah. Right, and then but there's still. The Japanese Godzilla, and mm -hmm. and and they tend to be very different, especially this Godzilla. I haven't watched it, but Godzilla minus one seems to be a a throwback to like the bad Godzilla. Yeah, you know? yeah. Right? And now in in this new American one, it's like, oh, they're teaming up. Yeah, you know? it's like Godzilla and King Kong. They're gonna join forces. They got a bigger baddie. They got to take down. Exactly. I'm just like, I feel like the next thing is gonna be like Godzilla Kong Planet of the Apes. Like it's all gonna just like come like a crash into one of each other it's gonna be this big giant movie <laughs> <laughs> i think no, it's, it's a, it'll feel a little bit i don't know if, if you watch um ready player one but uh at yeah the end, mm -hmm. you have like all this like oh absolutely ip madness like yeah coming from everywhere yeah absolutely that is a, a fascinating uh text of our current time in many ways i, I have my own issues with ev the book and the movie but i think it's just like it, it's but it, it is very much about what we're living in right now yeah yeah it it it, it is it, it's it's all of that it's you know it's uh i don't know it's it's the the scratching at nostalgia mm -hmm. but it's also oh these things are comfortable because they succeeded at one point mm -hmm. or they existed. So let's mm -hmm. just take that and find a different spin on it and turn it into something else. You know, sometimes it works. Uh, yeah. Barbie, Barbie's a great example, but yeah. um, you know, the fear there creatively is that they, you know, of course the companies take the wrong lesson. Mm -hmm. Oh, great. Give me a Rubik's cube. Give me yeah. you know, whatever. And let's make a movie, but look at who's behind a movie yeah. like that. You know, look, yeah. who, look who wrote it. Look who started it. It had something to say and it connected with people, not because it was Barbie, but because there was a voice behind it. And that's that's the key. Yeah, I just look at um other films that have taken IP and they're just or anything, and they're just so unsuccessful because they take it at face value rather than giving any other kind of you know opinion or depth or anything about it yeah yeah because a, a lot of the time uh, I, I think it's not understood that it's it's less about the bells and whistles that you hang on these things mm -hmm. but it's it's genuinely the story that you're trying to tell that mm -hmm. ultimately will connect with somebody like there's a reason why people love back to the future my kids love mm -hmm. back to the future mm -hmm. you know and i'm sure moving forward other you know, their kids are going to love Back to the Future because mm -hmm. there's just something about that story that just connects with everybody. Yeah. Right. And and that's the sort of secret sauce that you hope to find in the stories that you're telling. It's not, they're not always going to be there, but if you start off from a standpoint of like, well, let's just, you know, turn, you know, the 
you know, the square peg game into a movie. Like, <laughs> people know about it. Okay, cool. Then that that's not going to work, you know. Yeah. You know, Plato, the Plato movie, um, Lego movie was another great example. Like when I heard when I heard it was coming out, I'm like, oh come on. Yeah. Really? They're like, but no, it was all character, character, yep. character, character. It was story, story, story. And even better, Lego Batman, which I thought was like, oh Amazing. god, and then. <laughs> It's like it's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah, and again, it's 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 about that character, and you can yes. tell that the people behind it, mm -hmm. there's like love put into that, like love yeah. for what they're putting together, and not necessarily like the paycheck. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Do you have like a screenwriting hero yourself that you have always looked up to? Or are you in internalized? Uh, not necessarily screenwriting. Heroes, I would say, but uh -huh. there's people that I've worked with uh -huh. that um, I admire quite a bit. Um, you know, right now I'm working on uh, on Silo, that's run mm -hmm. by Graham Yost, who wrote Speed. Okay, he, um, the best. Just he's just like a, a genuine human being. Just yes, just super nice, genuine. Um, if you if you read something that that you wrote that uh, he likes, he'll tell mm -hmm. you. He'll tell you that that it's good, um, you know. Uh, other writers like on, on Snowfall, there was uh, Dave Andron, who's also from the Graham Yost camp. Fantastic showrunner, like mm -hmm. no ego in 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 the room. Would just let people tear apart stories that he would bring into the room. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I worked with uh, David Shore on The Good Doctor. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a a writer who like knows exactly what he wants to say, mm -hmm. exactly what he wants to say. And, and will work hard to find it because he knows what works, right? He knows what works. Um, so the, those sort of, of writers uh, I look up to uh, because more than being good, good writers, they're just good people mm -hmm. you know, by and large. Um, you know, we, we all have our faults and we're all creative. So usually those faults are bigger. Um, and at least in the television world, if you want to, you know, navigate that in a way where it's going to be fruitful for you, but for everybody around you, because I'm a, a big believer in mentorship. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's good to be somebody who honestly is not an asshole. Yeah, of course. Because then you want to work with them again and, you know, all, yeah, you, all that stuff. And then it just continues down the line. Exactly. You want to work with them again. Um, and, and then what happens is those people tend to put together rooms where mm -hmm. those writers are also genuine people. And you connect with them because mm -hmm. you, you're in the trenches with them. And yeah. you start building a community. So as you move forward, you know, you bring them aboard your project. Mm -hmm. Or they have a project and they they there's a lot of cross-pollinization mm -hmm. that happens um at least within the television industry um where people who you've worked with before who are just good people mm -hmm. like like you collect those you collect those human beings because you know they're there's they're out there but you gotta find yeah. them yeah i i think the one thing that I feel is like this, you know, there's like this now this tipping point between television and movies and now like everyone's in television and there's like this idea of, you know, the, this, the, uh, the like big name factor coming to TV and all this yeah. stuff. 
I think that there's this, there, there's a slight reason for it, I think, besides just the fact that, you know, bingeable TV is, yeah. you know, very sellable and everything's online now and everything's streaming. I think it's also like the community factor of a writer's room. I don't know a ton about like all of this stuff, but I also feel like there's become like this t certain jag towards our tourship again in directors. Right. Like it has to be writer you know director everything they just had to do story by everything on it and so it leads to less editing to, for these stories that are getting put on films so you get these longer and longer films sometimes longer films are fine which yeah, i'm totally fine yeah. with but i feel like there's been this like like circle back around to being a tourship leading in films versus tv yeah, a little bit. It does feel like that a little yeah. bit, you know. And 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 the thing is that now, as opposed to before, you know, folks, both writers and directors, move freely back and forth mm -hmm. between those those two mediums, right? Those those two ways of telling stories. Um, but of course, a director will bring his a tourship to mm -hmm. the television world. Where it sometimes it can be an odd fit because, well, in television, you know, the director's usually the hired gun that mm -hmm. comes in to direct the show that the showrunner's doing. Mm -hmm. But if it's going to be fruitful, it's got to be like hand in glove and you guys work together, mm -hmm. right? You work together. In 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 film, of course, it's like the director mm -hmm. the script, and then he'll do what he needs to do with it. Um but you know, the, yeah, it, I think a lot of it is had. I think has to do with the sort of like the prestige, mm -hmm. all, you know, um, that streamers um, and networks, more streamers, I think, in, in general, are attracted to those sort of stories. Yeah. You know, network television is network television. You know, that mm -hmm. it is what it is. You know, it, it will tell its stories that that work in the way that it, that it's been working um cable is a little bit of a different animal but it seems like for streamers they 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 really sort of gravitated towards those auteurs yeah and i think it all goes back to like david fincher doing house of was it house of cards i think yeah, yeah doing house of cards yeah. he kind of and, but it's so funny because he's not really a writer at all he's just a right. director right. um and so he he likes to have uh, oh god i can't remember his name that he works with all the time I'm, my mind's going blank but the guy he works with all the time he did seven and all that stuff um but and also did the killer uh but yeah oh, so right, it's just right, so yeah. funny that it all it's all circled back around that way yeah and and it's funny that yeah um andrew kevin walker yes yes yeah. exactly um which it, it's yeah because again like you find people that you work well with and you, mm -hmm. you just keep working with them yeah because you know, you develop an affinity, but also a shorthand. Mm -hmm. um, and and the the maddening thing in television is is obviously getting the work because a lot of time writers want to the first hires that they do are people that they worked with before, mm -hmm. right? And I remember being frustrated when I first started, where it's like, look, I nobody wants to give me a shot, yeah, you know, and and it's because people like to work with folks that they worked with before mm -hmm. because honestly it's easier yeah they know exactly what they're getting 
um, when they turn in a script, when they break a story, they know exactly, you know, what's going to come through that door. Mm-hmm. Um, so these little communities are mm-hmm. formed within, you know, within, um, within entertainment and telling these stories where it's like, oh yeah, let's bring my people on board, you know, cause I know exactly. eventually, but I almost on every show I've been on, there's been the staff writer that breaks through. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that person becomes part of that community. I like that inclusion factor. That's a great thing that we are, that is kind of what stands out in terms of television. Like that's a great thing. Yeah. It's, it's very, <clears throat> it's very much oriented in, in that way. I mean, if, uh-huh. you, if you end up in a quote unquote, really good camp with people that are very genuine and, and are going to be honestly just nice, mm-hmm. um, you want to stay with those people. Yeah. You know, you're going to stick with those folks and follow them around or hire them or they hire you. <clears throat> and it becomes very difficult to go then work for somebody new because mm-hmm. like, what am I getting into? Like, you know, it's almost being like, uh, you know, back in the days when you used to hire onto a job and you're there for 30 years, you know, yeah. you're very mm-hmm. comfortable. And why would you step away? Exactly. Um, so, yeah, these little, you know, it's funny because you do hear about all oh, the different camps within in television, you know, oh yeah, the Shonda camp and like, you know, the yeah. camp and the, uh, uh, those writers, you know, like sort of travel within those circles. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I wanted to bring up one thing I was noticed as I was, because I listened to this on audiobook. Um, I noticed that he talked a lot about Blank Check, the movie he wrote. Right. But he never really talked about stop or my mom will shoot. (laughs) (laughs) I wondered why that was. I don't know. Is there is a story behind it? I so the thing with stop or my mom will shoot is that it became it was like the hottest spec script in town. That was the thing. It like created this bidding war, and I think he got like. 500,000 or like a million somewhere between right. there for it. And then it just became this like like it was the biggest script ever and I think even there was an actors war about who was going to be the actor in it. <laughs> That's amazing. But then it just ended up being this weird bomb kind of. Right. Right. Have you ever seen it? I've never seen it, <laughs> but everybody knows about it. You knows know, about I, it. I exactly. Because it's like Estelle Getty and like Sylvester uh-huh. Stallone, right? Yes. Those are the stars. Like, yes. what a weird combination. It is. What a weird combination. And even the title, you're like, okay, this is super odd. <laughs> um, but it's funny during during those days, you know, of 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 those big giant bidding wars, uh-huh. you know, you'd have these wild scripts like that mm-hmm. that would go out. And but you know, it's like every writer sits down to write the best story. Yeah. What I just like is when the folks outside the industry are like, well, if they just tried harder or I can write better than that. The problem is they don't know the process that Mm -hmm. the script that eventually ended up on the screen went through in order to get there. You know, the, that, that thing that you're watching on the screen is so different than the script that it probably started with very different. Uh, one example that I can give that I think is kind of cool is the movie called Hancock that started Will mm-hmm. Smith. Um, that started as a spec. I think it's called 
Tonight He Comes, which is mm -hmm. a bad title. But <laughs> the story is about, it's a gritty look at the superhero genre. Uh -huh. right? And the actual script is really gritty. Yeah. Also very funny. Um, and what ended up on a screen is is kind of the same, but the yeah. tones are like night and day. And I, and I love that script. I think I must have read it several times um, just because the language that the writer used. I'm like, I love the way that this writer writes. Yeah. Um, and that was a hot property. And it took such a long time. I think yeah. Gilligan did a rewrite on it at some point and it became Hancock. Yeah. Right? But from when I first read it back in the day to what I saw on the screen, I'm like, wow, like that, that was not where the writer started. And again, it's the process, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Because it, it goes through so many rewrites. But it's so funny because I think that that's probably what ended up becoming the boys now. Right. <laughs> like that idea, I don't know if it like was meant to or all of that stuff, but it like trickled down to the comic, which became the TV show, which is like, a gritty look at superheroes yeah yeah which which at least for me because I'm a, I'm a huge fan uh -huh. um oh, oh yeah when i first watched it i'm like oh my god that's right up my alley yeah like, that is just pitch perfect for me just love it yeah I, I i've only watched a few episodes because i can only watch so much because i have a <laughs> yeah. young kid unfortunately it's, heavy. it's a it's a heavy watch yeah and it, it, it has a lot of you know very r-rated <laughs> stuff oh r and x yeah like, exactly it, it, gets, it gets it gets kind of gnarly um <laughs> but yeah but that unfiltered look i for me it came at the perfect time because of everything that was in the movie theaters yeah you know everything was in the movie theaters and and it sort of took that genre and just like turned it on its head yeah and i'm like yeah give me more That's i'm kind of amazed that that show is still i guess it's on prime so it's a little bit yeah. different they have like all the money in the world um but like it's on it's like fifth season or whatever now it's having an offshoot and right it still feels a little bit under the radar a little bit yeah I, I think so i think there's a there's a there's a group of fans who just love it yeah right but for the general public the folks that are like fans of yellowstone are probably uh -huh. not watching yes it. you know that that's not the uh, target audience that's watching it it's it's, it's uh you know i think they also got really good actors that yeah. have really big fan bases like jack quaid is like very mm. big um and uh, oh my god the, the guy who played uh, uh the the uh who is in star trek and my i'm sorry my brain is not listening <laughs> To, but like he has a big fan base it's just like i think they just got the right people in yeah and also you know i i think what these last what decade of superhero movies have done is it's it's created a, a base of of people who know what superhero movies yeah. are knows sort of the templates um <clears throat> that they follow and a lot this allows it to sort of flip it on its head and you get it immediately yeah you have to imagine that it does attract superhero fans just because it's mm -hmm. taking their beloved genre and sort of like doing something fun with it absolutely absolutely or, do you do you have a, a favorite movie or you know whatever about filmmaking um about filmmaking i'm trying to think there's gotta be it's gotta be one. Do I have one that's my favorite about filmmaking? Well, 
it's kind of about filmmaking. Uh -huh. um, the one that I love is The Player. Ah, uh, yes. Which... I thought about so much while I was reading this book because it's just like he felt like a character in that. Yeah, movie. yeah, because that's less about filmmaking than more about the sausage that goes into yes. the movie. And right. I love that aspect. I love knowing how the sausage is made. Yeah. And like when he drops names and stuff, I'm like, oh, I just love it. I it's just, amazing. Yeah, I mean, it, it. I love the way it, the way it opens. Yeah. And it's sort of like the camera's just taking you in like a this voyeuristic journey mm -hmm. into these like studios where the writers are pitching their stories. And it's yeah. like, well, it's the sequel to The Graduate. And, you know, <laughs> and it just goes into it. And you're like, the sequel to what? How can and that's exactly how Hollywood is. That's exactly yes. the way it is. Um, and the way that they treat the writers is fantastic. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, all of it. Like uh, that send up of Hollywood, I, I just adore. I just adore because it, in a way, it kind of is the way Hollywood works, even yeah. though it, it's very dark. But yeah, you watch that and you can get a really good sense of the way Hollywood works and the personalities yeah. behind it. Very much like that. Uh, have you ever seen Bowfinger? Yes. Okay, that's, that's my favorite. One. Okay, I can see why. <laughs> I can see why. Um, Steve Martin is like one of my favorite people of all time. I love yeah. him so much. And yeah. then that was a movie I saw at like a very pivotal time where I was like okay. first starting to get into movies when I was like 12 or 13 or whatever. And I was just like, this is how it's made. And it's so funny. And um, Eddie Murphy as the two characters is yeah. just like, one of the best. <laughs> he sh I think he should have an Academy yeah, Award. Yeah, that'd be, that'd like, be this uh, fantastic. In that movie, yeah, that that's that's another great one. That's uh, that does give you a like a sort of absurd peek behind the curtains. Yeah, that's actually not that absurd. Like you <laughs> can really like see some of that. Like it's almost like watching Veep, right? Mm -hmm. Where you hear politicians be like, um, "No, House of Cards was a fantasy." Like veep that hits close to home you know like that's a little bit more like on point if and, and bowfinger feels a little bit like that yeah you know? um to the point where like like for me you know um the the scene that i of course gravitated towards where is, is when they pick up pick up the day laborers oh on board you know and they the, and then they like they learn the language of the cinema and i'm like yes i'm like you know what that's funny but i'm like a lot of people who end up in the industry, like that's not where they started. Yeah. You know, oh, the cinematographer is like, is this what you wanted to do? Like, nah, man, like I was doing this and I just ended up here. <laughs> like those are the people that end up doing these things. Yeah, it reminds me of like when I was reading reading books about old Hollywood where it's like, they just started off in a mailroom and worked their way up and that's just what happened, you know? Exactly, they just, they just did the thing. You know, they just, they were yeah. here, and then they were here and then suddenly, you know, they're like on a movie set, you know, like yeah. either directing or their director of photography. And it's like one thing happens after another and suddenly you're like caught up in it. I, I like the demystification of it a little bit. Yeah. Because people tend to put it a little bit on a pedestal when you realize it's just like people just go and this is their job and they just do this, you know. Yes, they just they they just cash the paycheck and they have a beer when they get home. You know, there's no glitz. There's no there's no glitz. <laughs> even for the, some movie stars, it's like 
it's a gig, you know. It's yes. A, that's why the actors went on strike because they're being taken <laughs> advantage of. Exactly. You know, exactly. Yes, the, the stuff that you, you know, that you see on, you know, I was going to date myself and be like in the, like on Entertainment Tonight. Uh huh. But now it's like TikTok or whatever <laughs> or Instagram. Um, like, yeah, it's all, it's all through a filter. Yeah. It all comes through a filter, you know. The the it's it's about as as real as the movie on the on the screen that you're watching. And to bring it to television, have you ever seen Soap Dish? You know what? I have not seen Soap Dish. That is a great movie, and that's another one that I saw at a young age. Um, and it is a I mean, soaps don't really exist anymore, but <laughs> like as someone who grew up who's you know, grandma and mom watched soaps, I feel yep. like that is probably a very telling movie about how television is made. Right, right. No, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, growing up, you know, I watched a lot of soap operas and, and a lot of it is because during the summers, um, like my, both my parents worked and my sister and I would, would just be at home alone and we would just watch television from like yep. tonight. And when One Life to Live comes on, we're watching one life clip on television you know so i might appreciate that movie yeah you but. probably would i mean that's i that's how i kind of started watching different kinds of movies also is like being in the summer and you know tnt yeah comedy central that's all that's on that became my like film education until i started being like oh i want to check out other things like that you yeah know? So the video store all that totally, stuff. totally. like i I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm older than you. Like I, I remember being at home and like Abbott and Costello theater would just come on. Mm -hmm. And what a world would, you know, a, what a 10 year old kid watch Abbott and Costello. Yeah. Well, we watched it because it was the only thing that was on, <laughs> Yeah. you know, that, that, the three stooges, like it was just on television. So like, yes. I watched all of the Abbott and Costello movies, not because I wanted to, I'd learned to love them. But because that was the only thing on television, I didn't have a thousand channels or, you know, uh, an app where I can just choose again, going back to curating your own, yes, your own entertainment, you know, where I'm like, ah, that doesn't look good. I'll just stick to the stuff that I like. Well, I think we're going to see a, a, a revert back to cable because of everything. Oh, I think you're right. I, I feel like, or something like it yeah. um, where, you know, that's going to be, end up being, we're going to see people finding what's available again, because we're going to like even Pluto TV, like I find yeah. stuff on there and it's basically like cable, you know? And I'm like, right. Oh, I forgot that this existed. I'm going to watch it again. Yes. And, and I'll go through, Pluto TV just for that experience, which is like, yes. I'm just going to go through the genre and see what I come across. And I'll be like, oh yes. my God, I forgot about that show. Yeah. You know, that was on the air, you know. It's sometimes nice to not be fed stuff that. People... Yeah. 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 That, that, that's, a, that's the <laughs> algorithm wants fed. to give you. That the algorithm wants to give you. you exactly. Know? Like, oh, so you watched, uh, you know, uh, The Killer. Let me offer you this other stuff. Exactly. Like, oh, exactly. It's like when, you know, um when you used to go to the video store and, and you just like you're looking at the mm -hmm. boxes you know no oh, what's what's what looks good that's why cover and art and poster art is like so bad now because we don't have that anymore yeah oh man yeah that's too bad yeah I, I love posters yeah me too i i'm i love i just like love that design how it kind of evolved over time. It's just something, and I, you know, I hope we get that back too. <laughs> I, I do too. I mean, and, and 
Actually, I was very sad when um, um, Mondo posters. Oh yeah. Closed down. You know, they're only doing I think soundtracks now, putting out albums. But like they put out great, you know, versions of of movies. Is it vinyl? They put out vinyl. Yeah. Okay. They put out vinyl uh, soundtracks and, uh -huh. and and beautiful. They're beautiful yeah. collectors looking items. Um, well, that's the, the money maker now. Yeah. yeah. You can charge like $35 to $50 for vinyl. Yeah. It's expensive. Yes. It's super you know that I think I, I think it was on NPR or something. I was listening to something. And I think there's only one place that makes vinyl anymore. Like it's one place that processes all the vinyl that we make. Oh my God. That's because crazy. it's like, it became such a narrow process, but then it became more popular again. And so that's why you have all these wait lists and all this stuff. Oh my gosh. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. But and even now, like the, the new vinyl that you're buying, yeah, like, it looks great. You know, yeah. like I bought one recently and, the, and like the disc is blue, like bright yeah. blue. I'm like, this is rad, man. Like this yeah. is amazing. Yeah, it's kind of a fun little way of bringing some art to it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, you know what? I I um I got uh, a record player as a gift on one of the shows. Uh huh. Um, because I didn't own one, and I got some records from my parents' house. Uh huh. And I started playing it, and my kids like yeah moth to a flame. Yep. They like came over and they're like what the hell is this? Yeah. You know? And they sat down and they were like watching the record spin. And they were playing music. Like it was like some magical item. It was yeah. wild. It was wild. It was just so wild to them to see this. That's so funny. Know. My daughter did the same thing. She wants one for Christmas. She might get one. She won't. So. <laughs> Lucky her. <laughs> um, but yes, it's she She wants that. And she wants records of all her favorite artists and all that stuff. And That's I'm cool, like, man. I love it. That's great. You know, and, you know, again, it, it back I, your old stuff, you know. I know, I know. I my I have a bunch. I have like my mom's Madonna's album and like all this stuff. Oh, that's amazing. And like, yeah, her like Bauhaus stuff, like oh all this, God. all this stuff that's like been around forever. Oh, wow, that's amazing. That's new. That's. <laughs> oh. I know. I mean, it only helps that my my daughter is like, uh, the her mother is like a physical media person, so I guess that probably helps too. Yeah, you are too. <laughs> no, no, definitely. Like you, you sort of pass on that that stuff to you, yeah, because they see you do love of movies, love of music. Yeah. Love of books, like all that yeah. stuff. They they mimic, even though at, at certain points they'll push away from you. Of course, right? Because every day, every moment of every day. <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, you're reading that book I recommended. Or, Wait, exactly. That song that, <laughs> like, you're like, oh wow, um, or they or they become fans of movies and they seek them exactly, out, which yeah. is very very proud. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's a nice moment as a parent. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, um, do you have any last thoughts on the book or any, you know, screenwriting tips for anyone starting out in the biz? And No, I mean, as far as tips, it's like um, it, it helps to it helps to sit down and deconstruct the stuff that you love. Yeah. Um, the, the movies and television shows that you love, like literally sit, whatever your medium is. Like I, I used to work in marketing. So when I sat down to outline television shows, I would use Excel, you uh -huh. know, because I could create like a spreadsheet, you know, it's very, yeah. 
sort of nerdy, but um, it, it's a very common thing to do that I don't think a lot of folks think of doing, which is just yeah. sit down and watch Abbott Elementary. Sit yeah. down and watch Abbott Elementary and watch how many scenes happen, how yeah. many stories happen in one scene. You know, where are the act breaks? For something like Abbott, it's like, well, how many jokes do they tell, mm -hmm. you know, in that one scene? And that's, so you literally are like blowing it apart um, so you could examine all the little pieces. And yeah. and that, like talk about watching something deeply really helps you understand. I've heard some writers who will, I've never done this, but who will take a script and just rewrite it word for word, oh, okay. copy it um, just to sort of yeah. feel the flow uh -huh. of what it feels like to write that. So there's a lot of little different ways that you can approach um, learning how to write. And, and I'll, I'll recommend again, um, if you've not, folks out there who have not um, read it, who are writers and are interested in, in, in the writing process, um, Stephen King's on writing. It's not about screenwriting, mm -hmm. but it's about writing. Uh, I have heard that. I'm not really a big Stephen King person, but I have heard that before. Even so if you're not a big Stephen King person, it, what's great is it's like half of the book is an autobiography mm -hmm. that is that concentrates on the journey he went to becoming a writer, all the way from like when he was a little kid, all the way up to yeah, his story is fascinating. Yeah, it's fascinating up until the point where he like he got the phone call that he sold Carrie. Yeah. Then the second half of the book are his thoughts on what makes a good story. Yeah. Um, and that's that's fascinating. And that applies, that can apply to movies, to television, uh, as the same as to novels. It's just a bunch of nuggets of like, uh, of what he considers good good story. And he's not pretentious. That's the other thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's also another thing I love about him is he's like so like laid back and yeah. like throws his opinions out there. And yeah, like, you know the stories. This is how I do them. You know, this is what I do. This is what helps me. You know, and like, I think thing where you could buy the rights to any of his stories for like a dollar he does that with um film students it's yeah first time film student yeah you can approach him and you could buy one of his stories for a buck and he'll he'll let you film it that's so awesome see that, yeah. that's mentorship that's like another great thing exactly he's doing mentorship exactly i love that um, but yeah no that check out that book um if you really want to be a, a film or television writer watch yeah. the stuff deeply uh you know and read read screenplays they're out there now back, yeah. back when i was coming up i'd have to send away for them so they'd arrive in the mail i've been able to find like pretty much every screenplay i've yeah, uh, yeah. i've been working on for this season almost all of them almost are just like there. there yeah exactly and and you know if you're if you're if you're really learning you really want to learn um the craft like that's all out there and podcasts like this like yeah look them up they're all out there there's so many because i was just looking them up there's so many screenwriting podcasts out there yeah some are better than others um but um there's so many resources out there for folks that i'm super jealous that they were not there when i was coming up yes i know it's almost like too easy now and people don't realize how much information there is out there at your fingertips yeah <laughs> yeah every everywhere you go there's information for sure well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. This thank is a great conversation. Me. This is I this was awesome. I'm so happy we got to chat. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. This was fantastic. I had so much fun. Thank you. Well, do you want to shout out where people can find you if you want um, to find I'm you? I'm no longer on Twitter. I don't <laughs> Twitter. 
Um, but I'm on Instagram yeah. um, under my name, Salcayeros, and I'm also on Threads. Awesome. Uh, so I'm on, on those two. Awesome. Well, cool. Thank you again so much. Thank you for inviting. Appreciate and, it. Yeah, no problem. And you can find School by Cinema at all the places and have a good day. Awesome. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.